Welcome to the 64th episode of Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Warriors beat writer Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by sports columnist Scott Osler. He'll be with me and columnist Ann Killing for games three and four of the Western Conference Finals in Portland. After the Warriors game one win over the Trailblazers on Tuesday, Scott sat down with me to recap the victory, look ahead to game two, and answer a pressing question. Is Golden State actually better without Kevin Durant? We'll have our conversation right after the break. Around 11.30 p.m. Tuesday, Scott Osler joined me in Oracle Arena's lower bowl to break down the Warriors' Game 1 win over the Trailblazers and look ahead to Game 2. I personally was never questioning that the Warriors were going to win this one. kind of looked that way, isn't it? Because, you know, you see more games than I do, but you kind of get a feel for it. And there's nights when they might have a, a 10, even 15-point lead, and you think, oh, I don't know, it's not, it doesn't look that good. But uh, tonight, it just, it just seemed like they were in, in control. It seems like they were the dominant team from the start. Maybe it had to do with the, the lack of rest that Portland had and how fresh the Warriors were. But that, that's the way it looked. So the big question after the game, the obvious question after the game, was what was Portland doing defensively? Because they were giving purposely giving Curry a bunch of room to operate. Um, when Enos Kanter was out there, he, he wasn't going up and guarding him. He was hanging back. And it seemed like Portland was doing that because A, they thought, you know, we can't stop Curry anyway, so we'll let him get his points. And B, if we do this, we can at least corral the rebounds and win the re- rebounding battle. It was an interesting approach, uh, not one I've seen done very often, and it didn't work very well. Uh, Steph ended up hitting nine three pointers, tying a playoff career high, finished with 36 points, uh, nine for 15 from three. And the reason he was so efficient from three was largely because he was wide open on a lot of those. What did you think of that approach? And is it something that uh, the the Blazers should review going forward? Well, my observation going way back in the playoffs, back to the old Laker days of the Showtime Laker days is, for instance, Kareem was a big scorer. And every time they go in the playoffs, the opposition would decide either we're going to let we're not going to let Kareem beat us, so we're going to double and triple team him. Or we're going to let Kareem have his points because he's going to get him anyway, and we'll concentrate on the other guys. And it would always work for a game or two or three, but in the long run it would never work. And so Portland is in, in the same spot. Obviously what they did didn't work, so maybe the next in game two they'll come out and say, okay, no matter what, we can't let Curry go off. We can't. We've got to hold him like 25 or, or so points because otherwise he'll kill us. So that's probably what they do. I, I don't think they can live with this with Curry getting in the high 30s every game. I, I think that's a destructive way to go. You got to you got to let the other guys beat you. And I know there's plenty of guys that can beat you on the Warriors, but you just can't let Curry go off because that for one thing, it, especially at home, it lights up the building. Right. No, it, 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 the reality is this entire team subsists on joy and they subsist on uh, Curry making those Curry-ass plays, spotting up from 30 feet, which he did several times early in the game, which I thought really got the Warriors rolling offensively, um, not just hitting a three, but hitting it in kind of his trademark fashion and just pulling up. And no one was near him, so you can't you can't really argue with him and Terry Stotts was asked about that post game and got downright indignant, uh, you know, kind of scoffed and, and was feigning some ignorance. And the reporter had asked, you know, why did you, know, why did you 
do something different than what the Rockets did, which the Rockets trapped him repeatedly throughout the game. Um, and Stotts asked, um, I don't remember, uh, did did the Rockets trap him throughout the second half when he had 33 points in the second half of game six? And the reporter said yes. And then Stotts said, yeah, um, I, I, I'll have to look at that. Basically saying, you're an idiot. Uh, I, I know what I'm doing. Uh, we were we were switching it up because it obviously didn't work in the second half of Game Six. I don't think the answer to st- to stop. I don't think the answer against the Warriors is ever to just leave Steph wide open. Um, I, I just don't. I just don't think that's smart. Obviously, you can point at a lot of games where he was guarded heavily and still went off. But I don't think that Stott's reaction should from Game Six should be, oh well, it didn't work in the second half of Game Six. Well, guess what? Stotts. It worked in the first half of Game Six, and it worked in the previous four, four or five games. So, you know, you you can't make a reactionary decision off of two quarters. Yeah, and I think old Terry was maybe a little bit grouchy. Usually, he's a pretty good-natured guy, I think. But he, you know, they were on short rest, and they came back of a tough series. Didn't have much rest while they sat and watched the Warriors kick back for for two and a half, three days, and then he had a horrible game tonight, and his strategy backfired and everything. So I think he was just in a bad mood. Yeah, no, he was definitely – and he can get a little snarky sometimes, um, like like any great coach in this league. Uh, they they can get a little snarky snark. Um, but uh, the Warriors largely won this game, not just because Steph and Clay went off. Clay had 26 points, but the Warriors' defense uh, was was phenomenal. Uh, the, the Blazers only shot 36.1% from the field, 25% from three. Damian Lillard – and C.J. McCollum were combined 11 for 27 from the field, 3 for 10 from three-point range. Uh, you know, Lillard had seven turnovers, uh, seven of the team's 21 turnovers. The reality, one thing I said about this series entering game one was for Portland to have a chance, to have even a puncher's chance, they have to have an absolute Herculean effort from Lillard. He needs to be going off for 40 a night. He needs to be putting them on his back. And then McCollum doing his thing as well. But they need Lillard at his best, and he was far from it tonight. Yeah, and he'll play better. I'm sure he'll play better. But you, I think your point is good about the defense because we we talk about the curry and the, the shooting and three-point shooting and all that stuff. But a lot of that is keyed by the defense. For instance, tonight the Warriors had 17 fast break points to two points for the Blazers. And they had 13 fast breaks to three for the Blazers. And what happens is when they're playing great defense against a team like this, it's they're going to miss more threes. And those threes tend to be long rebounds that either wind up as offensive rebounds because they're quirky and hard to uh, keep guys off the boards on that. But also the missed three-pointers by Portland result in a lot of long rebounds that uh, become instant fast breaks. And uh, so the defense always, if a team is fast breaking well, like the Warriors do when they're playing well, it's almost always keyed by the defense. And that was pretty on tonight. So I'd probably led by Draymond, I would guess. Yeah, the best offense is a good defense, right? Uh, tonight was a great example of that. And the Warriors, you know, if they play great defense, they almost always win because they're. we all know about the offense, but it, the defense can come and go at times. And, and it was very engaged uh, tonight. I also felt like Portland just missed a lot of open shots and they just seemed – a little bit tired and, and not just physically but mentally as well coming off you know less than 
you know, 48 hours removed from a pretty emotionally draining Game 7-1 win in Denver to get here. Um, but the bottom line of the situation is that the Warriors were supposed to be here, and Portland was not. Portland is kind of the postseason darlings in the NBA. Uh, just the fact that they're here is a huge win. You know, Stotts said pregame that he wouldn't have been shocked if you had told him preseason that he that the war that the Blazers would make the conference finals, but he also wouldn't have bet on it. So, um, and I, I kind of felt like just hearing from him pregame and hearing to hearing from Lillard and those guys, there is an element of we are just happy to be here. And you wonder how much of a disadvantage that is because it, 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 watching the game tonight, it kind of felt like they, they played with a lack of urgency, intensity. And you wonder if, you know, obviously they don't want to get swept, but if they do have an awareness of the fact that, you know what, we've already kind of, already kind of achieved all our goals. This is, this is all just icing on the cake for us. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think we, one, one thing we saw tonight was the, difference in experience level in terms of not only years in service but uh playoff especially the playoff experience and deep in the playoff experience because the warriors they get to this point it seems like they almost have a sense of entitlement that they belong here and they they feel comfortable it's really comfort comfort zone for them where the not so much with the blazers not not at all because they're just not used to this and i think maybe sometimes we overrate um that kind of thing how many times you've been in the playoffs and stuff but i think in this case I think we're seeing it, and it's uh, it's just. You remember when Kevin Durant said, "Hey, I'm Kevin Durant. You know who I am. I'm Kevin Durant." Well, it's like the Warriors are saying that now. We're we're, we're the Warriors. This is what we do. Right. This is their time. Yeah, and I do think there's an element of you know what. It's nice that you guys made it to the conference finals. Good for you. Like props, but you're about to see what it really takes. We're gonna show you right now what a championship team looks like because I, I don't I don't think that I don't think the Warriors are intimidated in any way by Portland you can see just the way they look at this matchup the way they talk about this team that it's not it's not the same as it was with Houston with Houston from game one they own they roll out the Hamptons five lineup it's clear yo we're not messing around we gotta we gotta win this or there's no guarantees we're gonna win this we need to do everything in our power. And the fact that Steve Kerr played 11 bench player played 11 players in the first half of tonight's game to me underscored the fact that not that the Warriors don't take the Blazers seriously, but the Warriors feel confident in their abilities against this team. Um, you know, the reality is Steve wants to keep all his minutes manageable for this for the star guys, especially while Durant and Cousins are out. So that if and when they get to the finals, they're not tired, they're not exhausted. In an ideal world, the Warriors would sweep Portland, have a few days to rest, and in those four games against the Blazers, none of these guys would be playing into the 40 minutes. And tonight, that was the case. Um, no one played more than 37 minutes for the Warriors. Uh, Steph only played 35, and he actually was not in serious foul trouble. Uh, Draymond played 34. Andre played 30. Um, and then you saw some bench guys get getting real run. Kavon played 24 minutes. Um, and then who the, the two guys I was super impressed with from the bench tonight were Jonas Jarebko and Quinn Cook. In their minutes, the Warriors were plus 24 tonight. Uh, each of them was a plus 12. 
which is absolutely phenomenal given the fact that they didn't really play that long. Uh, Jonas played 15 minutes and Quinn played 13. So to be a plus 12 each of those, it says a lot. And I think that uh, I think that they're going to need more contributions like that, not just to beat the war, not just to beat the Blazers, but to you know keep the workload down for those for those core guys. And I was also impressed with Jordan Bell, who you wrote about a few days ago, was in the doghouse for a while, kind of had a breakthrough game, game six against Houston, and then came out and, you know, wasn't wasn't doing anything unbelievable, but was just really solid. You know, didn't make a lot of mistakes defensively. Um, you know, was was helpful. It was a plus seven in 10 minutes. That's exactly what you need from Jordan Bell. Yeah, the the bench was key tonight. For one thing, when, uh, when Kerr plays a lot of guys like that it's it's not necessarily just to hold the minutes down for the starters though that's certainly a valuable thing but he he not only believes in as we know with the strength of numbers he believes in playing his bench a lot and keeping guys fresh and keeping them involved but it's especially important now because if they get in the playoffs they one of their weaknesses all year has been scoring off the bench if they get in the playoffs and they can count on a, a on a guy like Jarebko or Quinn to come in and hit a couple big baskets that's, that that can make a huge difference like tonight, Quinn came in and hit. Did he? Hit, I think he hit his first two three pointers, right? Yeah, he had a pretty he had a pretty key three there in the second half too. And uh, Jarebko has been. He looks like he's shooting confidently, and if they can count on him for two or three buckets in a key situation, that's going to be big too. So, I I think, uh, you know, in a way, this is Kerr's way of pouring it on the opposition, <laughs> throwing all the reserves out there and saying, "Hey, we beat you with these guys too." But, but that's. Uh, that's that's definitely something he believes in, and, and it looks like that's something that they will definitely need in the in the finals if they get there. And Kerr was asked straight up, you know, why why did you feel comfortable going deeper in the bench? And he just said, as opposed to the last series where he really shortened the bench until he absolutely had to in Game Six because of foul trouble to guys, and obviously Durant being out. Um, and Kerr Kerr basically said matchups you know it was, he, he was super vague he just said matchups you know every series is different you know yeah. and we just felt like with our matchups this made sense and he and Draymond said that Steve had actually told the whole team during film study yesterday be ready because everyone's gonna play and my takeaway from that is okay you that that says something about about how you're viewing this team because sure you had solid contributions in game six from Jarebko and Cook and and Bell but I don't think it was enough to just on its head be enough for Kerr to say okay I'm definitely going to play the meaningful minutes throughout the rest of the playoffs you only do that if you are confident uh, that you can get through this team in relatively quick order yeah also, I thought one thing interesting about tonight, the different vibe, is that somebody mentioned for Warrior fans, it, it, this must be tough because there's nobody to hate on the other team. Because the last two series, especially the last series against the Rockets, there's obvious villains there, you know, that Warrior fans hate, certainly, the, the main two guys on that team. But in this game, it's it's everybody respects the war, the, the I mean, everybody respects Portland, you know. So there's there was no hate. It was kind of pure basketball, and that was kind of a, uh, interesting and yeah, I thought kind of a refreshing change. There were a lot of there's a lot of good storylines in this series. Obviously, the two Curry brothers, um, and I think we saw 
a reminder tonight of who the better Curry brother is. Obviously, we talked about Steph's night. Seth really struggled. He was uh, one for seven from the field, one for four from three, minus ten in uh, 19 minutes with three points. Uh, I'm I'm guessing you know he's a guy who's not as used to the pressure and the big stage as Steph. I wouldn't be surprised if all the questions about his brother, all the whole narrative around that, you know, affected his play a little bit. Um, but the, you know, the, there was talk about that. There was talk about Damian Lillard returning home when in Oracle Arena's last season, potentially having the the chance to close down Oracle because if you know this, if the Warriors somehow lost the series, they would never play another game in Oracle. Um, and as we all know, Damian grew up just uh, a few blocks from here in East Oakland, and uh, so you know there was a lot of a lot of cool things to talk about. But it kind of felt like once the ball was tipped, all those storylines became irrelevant because at the end of the day, you know we can talk as much as we want about you know where a player's from and who a player's related to but it's they it doesn't really matter if if the if the games aren't competitive and i'm not saying that portland can't play better i think portland can play much better um obviously lillard and mccollum specifically and i think they they don't they're not always gonna turn over the ball 21 times but my biggest takeaway from tonight was the Warriors are just so far ahead of where Portland is, not just from a talent standpoint, but an experience standpoint. And I just don't see a world where this team can really threaten them. They're not they're not near the team that Houston was. Yeah, I agree. And what's gonna happen when you think that when do you think Durant will come back? Probably not. Do you think that they'll keep if they go up two oh, they'll keep him out of game three? Kerr, that's not generally how Kerr operates. He doesn't, he won't keep out a guy because of some sort of uh, tactical advantage or something like that. He, he'll he just kind of play them when whenever the training staff says he's good to go. And um, it looks, he's definitely out for game two. He's, he's getting reevaluated on Thursday, which is obviously when game two is. He will not play game two. Um, I think it's very possible he does not play game three. Um, I would not be surprised if he returned for game four or five. But right now, the the Warriors are are stressing the fact that he's not particularly close. He hasn't even stepped on the court yet. He hasn't um, even done shooting, which in that department, DeMarcus Cousins is actually further along. DeMarcus, it's already clear he won't be uh, he won't be playing in the first four games. So he, if there is a game five or game six. He could potentially come back for those. But um, I think the Warriors are kind of of the mindset right now of getting th- getting through Portland without him. If, if they come back, great. But I think they're mentally preparing to be without him for the series. And then that's another advantage to, you know, getting done uh, early because then you you have more time for those guys to rest and kind of and, and, and do some five-on-five scrimmaging and, and what, what have you. Um, to get ready for an NBA Finals, so, but personally, I think it'd almost be better to have them ease in in this series, and, and, and you know, rather than their first live action in weeks being in the NBA Finals. Yeah, here's a question for you: What do you say to all the fans, I don't know, however many there are, who are, are going to start saying as they did during the season and everything, "Hey, maybe the Warriors are better without Kevin Durant. Maybe their offense works smoother. Maybe it's it's more of a flow." 
and uh, and maybe the same thing with Cousins somewhat. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely understand that argument with Cousins. I actually think that's true with Cousins. Uh, with Durant, there you can dig up stats that support that notion, but the reality of the situation is that I think the Warriors have been so good without Durant, not not because of anything that actually has to do with Durant as a player, but or anything he brings to the table from an X's and O standpoint. I think it's more just that when he's not out there, the rest of the team feels more empowered to be aggressive and, and hit the open shot and and uh, play their, their game. One thing about Durant is he 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 isn't tailor made for this system. The system was built for Steph and Clay. Um, when when Steve Kerr took over, he designed this offensive system for those two. And so when Durant came on board, he was a I think he was a good fit because he is a selfless selfless player and he's so smart from an X's and O's standpoint. But it wasn't an ideal fit in that he is at his core a one on one isolation scorer, and he's in more of a movement heavy pass happy system and so what you've seen the past two games is that they've kind of played that 2015-16 brand of basketball where they're ratcheting up the tempo they're spacing the floor they're getting a bunch of assists and uh so i i guess to answer your question i understand why fans might say that but the reason i don't think the warriors are really better without durant is because there are times important times you know late in games where things aren't going right for the Warriors and without Durant they lose those games with Durant they win those games because he is the ultimate offensive bailout you have Durant not for the first you know 45 minutes of a game you have Durant for the final three minutes of a game now Durant listens to a lot of stuff when he hears things like that whether it be on talk radio or on social media or stuff like that what do you think he thinks I'm sure it bothers him. I'm sure it bothers him a lot. I mean, this is a guy who, understandably, I think a huge motivating factor for him is the desire to want to be considered the best player in the world. And if you you notice, um, the Warriors as a team have been going out of their way during these playoffs to call him the best player in the world. And I that has struck me like like a bunch of bricks because, A, you know, I can't argue with anything you're saying because he has been the most dominant player in the playoffs, averaging 34-plus points per game, shooting extremely efficiently, helping the Warriors get through these stagnant stretches whenever uh, they arise. But the fact that Steve has used that exact wording four times in the past two weeks, um, at one point, three times in a six-day span, Steph Curry went on... Sports Center the other day and used that wording. Clay Thompson in his post game press conference the other night used that exact wording. Kevin Durant is the best player in the world. You don't think that they're smart enough to realize that that messaging is getting back to Durant and that he's hearing all that? Wait a minute. Are you saying there's collusion? That those three guys are <laughs> colluded to, to make KD feel better about the whole thing? I think that they know what they're doing. And I think. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily a situation where they convened and they said, we need to do everything in our power to keep this guy happy. But uh, they're smart enough to realize that Durant, as he has told me before, watches and hears everything. And if he's hearing over and over from his teammates, who happen to be some of the best players in the world, Steph Curry, who 
some people would argue is a better player than Kevin Durant, uh, saying on a national, you know, on a, on a very prominent sports show uh, that that Durant is the best player. Uh, that only helps the Warriors' odds of of having of bringing him back next season because I do think at their core, the Warriors do want him back next season. Now, does Durant want to come back? I don't. I'm not. I don't know. But I do think Steph and Clay want him back. Yeah, and don't you think that uh, that the very reason that Kevin Durant came here is what we're seeing right now? That he came here, not he wants obviously wants to win rings and everything, but he came here because he wants to play on a team that. It's like a brotherhood. They play together. They're in sync on the court and off. And when he hears these guys say that, and some teams, they, they might not be saying that. When, they, when he hears the guys saying that, he feels that, I think he feels that, yeah, they like me. They respect me. They appreciate my game. And, and that's the reason he came here. And like you said, that could be a reason why he would stay. Yeah, well, it'll be, it'll be interesting. That's obviously been a topic for so long now, and it will be for another, what, month and a half? Uh, But in the meantime, the Warriors are showing what they can do without him, and they're still a pretty darn good team. Um, (laughs) Pretty darn good team. Uh, Milwaukee is crazy good. Toronto's crazy good. Both of them, in my mind, are several notches above where this Portland team is. And I do feel like if – the Warriors, for some reason, had to go into the finals without Kevin Durant. They could still have a good chance of winning. Now, I do feel like they'd have a better chance with Durant for the reasons that I just kind of laid out earlier. But, uh, but the, this team is so this team is going to be so good as long as they have Steph and Clay. And for whatever reason, if both Demarcus and Durant leave this summer I think you're seeing a snapshot of why this team should should still be very much a contender if that happens yeah and by the way when you you're kind of downselling Portland tonight and I understand because I agree with the things you say but part of that I think is because you're a Portland guy you were born and raised in Portland and when your team not not saying they're your team now but that, you know that's your home team and you you kind of you kind of have higher expectations for them, and there's. I think they're. Are you he, saying that I, I'm, I have some like underlying bias I that think is without, without realizing it's still back in the in, in in the back regions of your heart. You still there's a little spot there for the Blazers. Um, maybe I, I do try to be completely objective, and honestly, I, I don't root for the Blazers. I don't watch them any more than I watch any other team in the NBA, but uh, I do know them. You know, just historically, I know the what, and I know, I know what this this season means to that city. You know, this is the first time they've made the conference finals in 19 years, and the last time they made the conference finals, they gave up a 16 point fourth quarter lead in 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 Game Seven to in 2000 to the Lakers. You probably remember that. Um, and I, I'll be honest, I was third grade, crying like a little baby. I remember. <laughs> I took the remote and like threw it across the room and my mom yelled at me because I was so pissed off. Um, but you know, once, once, once it becomes your job and, uh, you're covering the league there, that side of you kind of turns off. It's not even something that I actively have to try to turn off, but I, I can vouch for that because I grew up in Los Angeles and true confession was a huge warrior fan. I mean, sorry, a huge Laker fan back in the day. And, uh, but you put it behind you when you, you you get to do our job, and uh, it's more of a dispassionate kind of thing. We enjoy it's not, it. It's not something you like actively have to try to do. Right. I, it just it just 
it just turns off, I think, if, if you're professional in what you do. Yeah, and I don't shed any tears, win or lose. Yeah, no, Sam. But, uh, Scott, I really appreciate uh, you joining me again. Always fun to have you on the pod. And I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, in coming days, you're going to be you – and, you and Ann Killian, we have a little bit bigger beat crew heading up to – uh, Portland than, than the past two series. So, uh, it should be a lot of fun. And, you know, I, I know a lot of spots in, in Portland, but if anyone from Portland is listening to this or has been to Portland and you guys have recommendations for Anna Scott, just, uh, tweet at us or, or shoot us a line, shoot us an email. I know uh, the three of us are going to kill it in Portland, you know, on the, uh, on the keyboard and on the streets. <laughs> Wow, I, that, you just made my night right there. We're going to kill it on the keyboard and on the streets. That should be like our slogan. Um, <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, Scott. Always fun. All right, Con, thanks. Warriors Off Court is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, we'd love it if you subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review... That helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow me on Twitter at con underscore cron and email me at claterno at sfchronicle.com. Support Warriors Off Court and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe. Subscribe.